Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. A goal Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to Le Beau Jeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast in English. No, this is not Matt Spiro, as you may well have guessed. He's away on holiday, so today you're stuck with me, Ian Holyman, and I'm joined, fortunately for you, by two people who actually know what they're talking about, Andy Scott and Luke Entwistle. Now, we've got the PSG's record title win coming up of course the European race, the relegation places but first of all I must wade in on the crucial theme. Lots of love from Naufal, our winner of the uh, Teji Savanier shirt for the biscuit chat last week and asking if the boys <laughs> have a culinary podcast. Honestly Naufal if you've eaten at either of their places you wouldn't be asking that and I just want to clarify that I'm talking about their cooking skills, that's Andreas and Robbie, and not those of their much, much better halves. Davor T getting involved as well. I'm not having it, boys, though. The Tim Tams, you can keep them. I've never been to Oz. I've never had the pleasure, but they've got to go a very, very long way to beat a plain chocolate-covered hobnob as the biscuit of choice for the millennium. <laughs> and Luke and Andy, I will not broach any, any contradiction on that point. So I'll just say hello. Hi, Ian. Hello, Ian. Did you know? Did you know that today today is a significant day in um, in in footballing terms because obviously it's Johan Cruyff's birthday today. If he were still with us, he'd be seventy five. It's also Sheikh Diabate's birthday today. He is thirty four <laughs> today. Now, Ligue 1 fans of a certain vintage will remember Sheikh Diabate as the hero of the Bordeaux team that won the twenty thirteen Coupe de France final. One of my favourite um, cult stars of the French game over the last decade. So I thought I'd give Sheikh Diabate a mention because it's his birthday today. The reason I'm doing that is because it's also my birthday today, by the way, just getting that in there. So the fact is I share a birthday with Sheikh Diabate and Johan Cruyff and David Moyes. There you go, another one who put Lyon out of the Europa League the other week. Uh, Luke, is it, is, it any, any, is it a special day for you, possibly? <laughs> it's not a special day for me, but that is a very special day. That's, um, yeah, quite a, quite a selection of uh, footballing stars to, to share a birthday with. I am. Um, it would be a decent, decent front too, no? Diabate and, and Cruyff up front together. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a nice little <laughs> duo. I mean, I, I share one with, uh, with Didier Drogba, who is um, the striker of, you know, it, my team is Chelsea. So, um, you know, that's a nice one to share it with, since I'm a, I'm a Chelsea fan. But that's a way away. I actually share a birthday with Abraham Lincoln and Mick Harford, and that would be quite a good front too as well. Mick Harford, you can Google him both, you, you two, and probably most of our listeners as well, because you'll have no clue. But Luton Town <laughs> is all I'll say in the 1980s. Um, you are still listening to <laughs> the, League, the official League Camp podcast in English. And we're going to turn our attention to, well, surprise, surprise, some actual French football. And at the weekend, the inevitable happened. It's 10 up for Paris Saint-Germain. And Angus Tarod was at the Parc des Princes to see how they managed to do that against Lens. Kylian Mbappe. Baratti escapes the challenge by Satoka. Nuno Mendes into the Italian once more. Mbappe through the legs of Soko Fofana and taken by Kevin Danso. He took the ball, but he took the man. Neymar with his trailing leg. And it's a yellow card for the Austrian international. And he's off. 
A second yellow card for Kevin Danto and Launter reduced to 10 men on 56 minutes. Neymar once more through the eye of the needle. Chance for Messi! And for a man who has struggled to score in Liga this season, how fitting it is that it could be his goal that wins the title for Paris Saint-Germain. Danilo with the challenge, but taken away by Sheikh Dekoure. Another ever-willing runner in midfield. Wesley Saeed, ball down the line, great Davis ball in! And there is the equaliser! Corentin Jean. And Lawrence, who are chasing after Europe, strike back inside the last few minutes. The referee blows. Paris Saint-Germain are champions. But it's a strange atmosphere in the Parc des Princes. Arms aloft for a 1-1 draw. That means that Paris Saint-Germain can now no longer be worse than 13 points ahead of Marseille at the end of this match day with only four games to come. Well, gentlemen, I think um, we've lived enough in France to be able to sum this up in a very French way. I think the word bof, as they uh, yeah. say in France, is, is pretty much how this, this title win was celebrated. Is that fair, really? I mean, this is, this is remember, a record-equalling 10th Ligue 1 title. That puts them level with Saint-Étienne. It puts them one ahead of Marseille, which is something, no doubt, that, that will stick in the throats of Marseille fans and, and will be very much to the, uh, to the pleasure of PSG fans and Robbie Thompson, of course. Um, are we being unfair? Are we being unfair, Luke? Uh, I think, you know, I was kind of brought on for a bit of balance, um, which is quite hard. It's quite hard to fight that corner. Um, I feel as though maybe it's been slightly misconstrued the underperforming element. I, I don't think they've necessarily underperformed. You know, you look at the stars of the season, especially that, uh, you know, they got off to a great start, nine wins in a row, and they've just never really looked like not winning the title. So in, in that kind of case, you can kind of say that they've just controlled this league the whole way through the year. Um, so not necessarily underperformed, but like certainly underwhelming, but just because of, what Liga actually means, I think, to Paris fans, um, I don't think it carries that much weight anymore. And, and obviously, the, the major thing that still sticks in people's mind is just uh, that night against Real Madrid. And I, I don't think I think that will be the overriding memory for everyone, for, you know, around the club at PSG, including their fans from this year. And I, I don't think any level of domestic success could have kind of shook that that kind of uh, that feeling. I mean, Andy, it, haven't haven't really the the, the owners of PSG made a rod for their own back by basically just putting everything on that Champions League. And when that dream, as it were, disappears for yet another season, uh, everything else just seems a little bland. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think that that's that that ultimately is the issue here. I think that as as Luke says, you know, I mean, they they deserve to win the league on title. There's no question about that even though they didn't hit the heights that they've been expected to hit. Of course, they deserve to win the league on title. But the thing is that you don't sign Lionel Messi in August uh, and you don't turn down 
a bit of 180 million euros for Kylian Mbappe in the last year of his contract just to win the league and title. Uh, you do that because you have ambitions of winning the Champions League. And they fell short. Now, of course, when you play against Real Madrid in the last 16, you know, you might lose. But I think that there, there is the manner in which you lose it. Another remarkable collapse in that competition. It overshadows everything else. Um, and, and the atmosphere at the club, for me, is very problematic. Now, the supporters, we're not going to maybe perhaps put them all together um, and say they all, they all feel the same way, but a very significant element of the PSG support are not impressed by what's happened this season. Um, <clears throat> the ultras, the most vociferous supporters, particularly the Otoy end of the stadium, were protesting against the club even before the Real Madrid tie. Let's not forget that they were they were you know unveiling banners at uh, you know at matches, complaining about overpaid mercenaries, complaining about Leonardo, the sporting director, and many other things to do with the management of the club. That was even before they played Real Madrid. And obviously, the defeat to Real Madrid added to that. I think that um, it is a club which has serious issues because. When you don't have the fans on side, you have a problem. And I think you have to wonder now, um, you know, I, I go to games at the Parc des Princes. And I was actually, I wasn't able to go to the game on Saturday when they won the title. Um, but the previous week I was there against Marseille, which obviously we covered in great depth last week, the atmosphere at the stadium. For me, that's a real problem because if you're going to sign Messi and you're going to have Mbappe, you're going to have Neymar and all the other stars, even signing Sergio Ramos, last summer. It's about entertainment. For me, that's what it's going to be about. You know, of course, you're going to win the league and title if all goes even remotely to plan. You might not win the Champions League because there are so many good teams in Europe that can't win the Champions League. Only one of them can win it every year. It's about entertaining and it's not entertainment at the moment. You go to the Parc des Princes, there is an, an empty, hollow atmosphere. There is a team of great players who, when they, when they play together, it doesn't produce the spark that it's supposed to. Um, and I think that there is a real disconnect now. And I think we can praise PSG for winning the league, but that is just not what matters. And there is there is an awful lot of things that need to be fixed over the summer. Whether Mbappe stays or not, clearly Mauricio Pochettino, it looks like he is on his way. There may be changes even higher up at the club, but they've got to give something back now and, and try and find that connection again with the supporters and give some meaning once more to winning a league title because, you know, that has been a very empty uh, league championship victory for me and and you know I think it's that that is a shame because it's a historic moment equaling Saint-Étienne's record of 10 titles you know they're the only only the second team to reach that mark yeah this is this is the, the latest coronation since the 2014-15 season when they when they won it on the penultimate day of the season and Pochettino you mentioned Andy only the second Argentine coach to win the league and title from the bench after Louis Carnelia, hands up if you've heard of him, with Nice all the way back wow. in, in 19, 1956. Now, Pochettino was saying, we, you know, you shouldn't be downplaying this. This is a, this is a big moment. This is, this is a big thing to win. The, the, it's a league title, etc., etc. But for everything that you've, you've said there, the, the pair of you, we're kind of looking beyond that sort of, well, dare I say, propaganda. But the th really the question is now, and this this seems to me a really seminal moment in in PSG history. If I if I can sort of overhype it and, and possibly not overhype it, but maybe that is what it is. What next? Yeah. What next? Where where now? Because what do we do with Messi? What mm -hmm. do we do with Mbappe? What do we do with Pochettino? What do we do? Maybe even with with Leonardo, who came out and said, "I've made errors." And then slightly worrying worryingly for me, he says, "We're going to speak." 
uh, to to Pochettino. It's been a, a, a heavy season, as they say in in French. A, you know, a, a season where everybody seems to have been just battling through knee high mud, basically, to try and get things moving, and they haven't managed to do it. And he says we've got to speak to the players, not only with the coach, to clarify situations and decide on the strategy for next season. Now, I'm not quite sure what he means by that, but if you're talking to the players and mm. not just just the coach, I mean, surely already that's that's the root of the problem right there, isn't it, Andy? Um, yeah, well, I mean, there are lots of problems. I, mean, I think, first of all, the, 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 it is worth posing the question, as a lot of people are doing, as to whether or not you know Leonardo will still be there next season, whether he should still be there. Some are even, some supporters have even, you know, asked for a change of president at the club. Obviously, Nasser Al-Khalifi has been there since the beginning of the, of the project. Um, but, you know, we will see what happens in that regard. I think Pochettino's future um, is elsewhere, even though he has a year remaining on his contract. I think he made that point. I think it was during the week or perhaps the end of the previous week when he said, I have a year to run on my contract. Um, it's not a question of what I want to do. It's a contractual situation. And um, and that means to me that that was an, an example to me of him basically saying, right, you're going to have to get rid of me. Um, you're going to have to pay me off for me to leave. Now, I think Pochettino's future lies elsewhere. I think, obviously, the club will already be considering their options in terms of a new coach. But I think it's a whole culture that needs to change at PSG. I mean, I think, you know, we've discussed this on the podcast in, in, in previous weeks, um, how they start a new project. Do you, do you look to, to players from the Paris region, which is such an incredible source of footballing talent? They have, they have made errors in the past because they've let go young players who've gone on to be very successful elsewhere. The likes of Kingsley Coman and Christopher Nkunku come to mind. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think they need, to, they need to start a new project. Now, if they can keep hold of Mbappe, obviously a Paris boy uh, coming still to the peak of his career, that would be fantastic. If they can't keep hold of him, then they're going to have to, to, you know, they're going to have to think about the long-term approach because they're left with Messi and Neymar. And, you know, they have, these two lads are on such big wages and they are getting older, certainly in Messi's case, you know, he's going to be 35 by the time next season starts. Neymar is, is only 30, so he's got a bit longer in him, but he's had lots of fitness issues. He's never really hit the heights in Paris that he was expected to. So they're going to have to find a way of, of building a Champions League winning team with those two guys at the, at, the, at the front of the project, which seems unlikely. I mean, I think the Messi issue actually is worth touching on again, because I think sometimes we've been kind about Messi um, because he's set up lots of goals this season, which is great. He's turned into a, a player who is there to serve Kylian Mbappe, you might argue, and Mbappe is the star. But the fact is that the Messi signing, uh, I'm not going to call it a fiasco, but it has just not worked out. His goal on Saturday was his fourth goal in the league this season. Now, to put that into some context, if you go over his last 12 years at Barcelona, he had scored between 25 and 50 league goals every single season. Now, to score four goals in the league this season is, is an astonishing figure for a player of that magnitude. He's one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest player of all time, and it has not worked out in the way it was supposed to. Now, yes, he popped up with, I think, five goals in the Champions League. Two of them came in an inconsequential final group game against Club Bruges. Um, I'm not obviously trying to play down Lionel Messi as a player. He is a fantastic player, but it has not worked out for Messi he has not appeared as happy as he was previously in his time at Barcelona. Perhaps that's to be expected with the move away from his boyhood club. But it has not worked out. And I think if Mbappe leaves and Messi is left behind and Neymar is still there, you, you are wondering uh, what, the, what the Paris project looks like going forward. But 
in in you know to sum it all up, there are enormous changes that are required, whether Mbappe stays or whether Mbappe goes. There are huge, huge changes that are needed at Paris Saint Germain going forward, and of course. They could still win the league and title because they have that margin of error over their rivals. They have a huge budget compared to anybody else in France, but they want to win the Champions League. And right now, they do seem like they are a little bit away from that. Luke, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think like it does come back to just you know big C culture um, and just all of the mistakes that have been made in the past. I feel as though Leonardo's uh, thinking that he can now get away with those because I remember the pressure obviously after the Real Madrid defeat was was huge for him to leave and it now seems to have, I think he's, he feels as though he can kind of weather the storm and, 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 and ride it out, which, which I definitely think he, he potentially could, but it, it doesn't, you know, stop with him. You know, it's, you can't blame it all on, on what Leonardo has done, done poorly, but it is, it is a large part of, you know, bringing in Pochettino, you know, you're talking about it being a big moment for, for Paris Saint-Germain and, and it wasn't really, but, but for Pochettino, it certainly was. Who that's his first league title that he he's won as a manager. So for him, it's a huge moment. But that whole appointment just seemed uh, not in fitting with with what PSG needed to be this season. As, as Andy says, you know, it's supposed to be entertaining. And for all that Pochettino, you know, for all of his strengths, you know, he's, he's not a poor manager. That that'd be, you know, it's, it's not. He's a great manager still, but he's certainly not fit in fitting with all of those players at that club. Um, and how those players should really fit together into kind of making an exciting brand of football. So yeah, the, the, it's it's all about the culture. It's about making the fans, I think, reinvest in that club. And I, I think they feel very, very distant from from what's happening at, at their club. And uh, I, I think it, yeah, it, it all comes down to poor decision making, um, lack of culture, lack of joined up thinking. It feels as though everyone at the club, you know, from the scouting department to to the coach, and you know, every decision, there's no joined up thinking. They're all kind of decisions, all departments existing within their own bubble with no kind of overlay or kind of discussions between them. And uh, what you get is, is a haphazard mess of a project, which which is has been PSG this year. And uh, yeah, huge things need to be done to, to to arrest the slide, really, if you can call it that. Ian, Ian can, I, can, I, can, I just, can I just say just a, a couple of last things on the PSG thing? Because I think it's a fascinating subject. The, the, the first is that for me, there was, there was a really interesting um, comparison to be made last week. Uh, I mentioned the PSG Marseille game, which I was at. Um, and the flat atmosphere at the stadium for the game against your biggest rivals for a game you win when you're about to win the title. Um, now, during the week last week, uh, I happened to watch the Liverpool-Manchester United game in the Premier League, a meeting between the two great rivals of English football, the team at home winning a big win in their hunt for the title. Now, the difference between the two was incredible in terms of the intensity with which the, which the one team played Liverpool, in terms of the, the connection between the players and the fans, the atmosphere in the stadium. And that ultimately, the level at which a team like Liverpool and, and one or two others in Europe are, are, are playing at at the moment, that is the level to which PSG have to aspire if they're to win the Champions League, which is their ultimate goal. And when you compare the atmosphere at the club and the connection between the, the, the team and the fans and just the way in which the team are playing, the difference between PSG and, and Liverpool at the moment is really quite striking and not in a good way for PSG. But... To give them their credit, to finish off by giving them their credit on winning this title, I think Luke mentioned a very important point. They had that brilliant start to the season when they won the first eight games. There were nine points clear at the end of September. It was never really in doubt. I think there's two other things that are worth pointing out. One is that they've been incredibly strong at home this season with the fans back compared to last season when they lost games against the likes of Marseille, Lyon, Lille, Monaco. This season, they've only dropped points in one home game. That was a nil-nil draw with Nice. They've won every other game at the Parc des Princes. 
The Parc des Princes is a fortress again, like it was in previous years. And also they have a, a, which is, this is a very useful habit if you're going to win the league. They've scored an awful lot of late goals. They never give up in games, even when they're not playing well, which is frequently the case. They pop up with late goals. They've snatched draws in the last minute of games against teams like Lens, Lorient away from home. They've scored late winners in, in lots of games. And, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for that. So even though the, the, the football has not been scintillating far from it, they do have that character that you need to win a league title. And, and you know, they are, for all the many problems, they are, they, are, they are without question worthy champions this season. Yeah, it certainly has been a fortress for PSG, at least at least for opposing teams getting in, but it certainly wasn't for the PSG fans getting out, uh, heading out at about the, between the 70th and the 75th minute uh, at the weekend to celebrate the title outside the stadium, which has has a sort of air of that uh, lockdown celebration uh, from the, that Champions League win against Borussia Dortmund uh, a, a season a season or so back, but um, in very very different circumstances, there seems to be a really big uh, fracture, as uh, as you might say, between what the fans think of the club and uh, and and what 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 is actually happening there and. Uh, the fans have certainly contributed to my ability to read stuff upside down, having um, employed their banners <laughs> on a on a regular basis, the wrong way around uh, in, in in some sort of protest. Uh, Davor T, uh, also Australia's leading biscuit critique, apparently because he, uh, he he weighed in on the old biscuit debate, says he struggles to see Maurizio staying. It's an interesting one now that Manchester United, the, the the team that he was expected to go to, by certainly by a, a great amount of the media in Western Europe, have already appointed Eric Ten Hag for next season. If Poch does go, if Killian does go, which uh, is now perhaps more of a question mark than than uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, they may well crop up in Deja Who, and they'd probably be pretty easy to get if they do. Last week's clue, though, Robbie Thompson wasn't all that easy. To win a Lucas Paqueta Olympic Lyonnais jersey, Robbie posed this one. An elegant central defender stroke defensive midfielder, I think that might have given it away, enjoyed much success in my homeland before moving to France at 24, played more matches with my one and only French club than I did at any other club in my career, winning the Coupe de la Ligue, three Ligue 1 crowns, laid the foundations for a golden age that seemed today like a distant memory. Indeed, several of my compatriots are more readily associated with this era than I. During this period, I also played a key role in winning the World Cup. After I left France, injuries hampered and effectively ended my career, but not before I won the Champions League in a final that had a distinctly French accent. Some uh, correct answers, but the uh, shirt of uh, the wonderful Lucas Paqueta goes to Jeremy Magan, who got... Gentlemen, any ideas? Ed Mielsen. Ed Mielsen. And having met him, I can say he's a very nice man and he has got wonderful skin. I don't know what treatment he puts on there, but he's got an <laughs> absolutely flawless complexion and uh, a very, very interesting man to talk to. Intelligent. It's one of the uh, most intelligent footballers I've ever met. And um, he certainly was a very, very stylish centre-back and, and defensive midfielder for Leon. This week's competition then is to win an Andy Delore Nice shirt. This one, uh, this one, this one's for you, Luke, who's uh, based down in the in the south of France. I have to say though, every time I hear Andy Delore, I always remember our unfortunately late colleague David Crossan, who uh, came up with the 
the the song title I fought the law and the law won I believe that was the clash it's a little bit like whenever I hear Paul Lirola's name and I always think of my Sharona by the knack I don't know what it's just always it always goes through my head anyway <laughs> this week's Deja Who for that Andy Delore shirt and you talked about late goals Andy there's uh, there's a man who specialized in them this season here's this week's Deja Who After making my debut in Ligue 2, I signed for a big French club but watched from Division 4 with the reserves as the first team lifted the Ligue 1 title. I spent three seasons on loan, including a spell overseas, before taking a gamble on a fairy tale story that paid off, and three years later, I finally played my first Ligue 1 match at 29 years old. My late blooming career even saw me earn an unexpected international call up and continental glory now holds pride of place in my trophy cabinet. My incredible football journey may yet have a happy ending, but it certainly doesn't appear to be this year where things are going from bad to worse. I have to say, I read that and I have no I have no clue. Not a single clue, listeners. Good luck, good luck, and you're going to need it for that one. Answers, please, to League one podcast at gmail.com that's league one podcast at gmail.com and you can potentially win that andy delore niece shirt very very nice indeed now talking of going from bad to worse saint etienne that description may well be applied to them it's very much the opposite for this weekend's opponents monaco armel tongi saw their game saint etienne they've only won four games from uh, times when they've conceded the opening goals this season. They might be two down here. Gelson Martins into Volland. They are two down. Kevin Volland with the finish this time. Simple as that. Sliced open. Camera for Kazri. Back towards Mardi Camera. Was he brought down illegally by Many? He was a lifeline for Saint-Etienne. It's a penalty. And Kazri scores. A perfect penalty into the bottom corner. And this game is still alive. Axel de Sassi very nearly released Jacobs, who does get it now from Poadu. Folland making the run in the middle. Folland held his run. And Timothy Kolozizak with another almost comical own goal. Nade for Budabuz, who took his time getting to that ball as well. And Vanderson fought harder. Vanderson has found Kevin Folland. And the run from Ismail Jacobs has been made. It's into the middle for Myron Poadu. And Monaco have put this one beyond any doubt now. 4-1. Well, talking about problems or incidents with fans, the Green Angels 30th anniversary, the ultras of of Saint-Etienne. Um causing a little bit of a stir, shall we say, at the Stade Jafoir Guichard. But at Monaco coming through very, very comfortably in the end. That's six league wins on the bounce. Their best, the best run in the big five leagues in Europe right now and Monaco's longest run since January to February last year. 20th goal of the season for Wissam Ben Yedda, equaling his best total in a single season. And Kevin Folland back on song as well. He's been involved in a goal in four of his last five league games. Luke, what is going right at Monaco? 
Good question. <laughs> it all changed very, very suddenly. They were really, really struggling, obviously, in mid-March on that awful, awful run that kind of culminated in that really dreadful week, uh, losing to Strasbourg, then getting dumped out of the Europa League by Braga, who were, I don't know, by considered by everyone to be an inferior opponent. And, uh, you know, then a PSG turn up, you know, maybe the perfect opponent at a time like that where you've got no expectation and, and they go and win it. And then they go into an international break, which is very nicely timed. And then they just keep that run going. Um, so I, I think a few things have changed at the club. I mean, Philippe Clermont is, is a big fan of saying in, in his press conferences that there is a good dynamic in the team. And there was a good dynamic before that, uh, you know, that 3 0 victory at the Stade Louis de uh, against PSG in late March. Um, but obviously, good dynamic, you know, is, is almost certainly exacerbated by, you know, an extremely good run. And I mean, what's changed? Not tactically, not a huge amount. I mean, uh, Yusuf Fafana's come back in, and suddenly, after having a shocking season, he's come back in and is actually outperforming too many in that in that midfield pivot, uh, which I think has shocked many people. Fallen's, as you say, has returned to a bit of scoring form. But I do starting to chip in with one or two. Uh, Golovin is on his best run of kind of, um, I'd say, form and of fitness of the whole season, if not a couple of seasons. So you've got a bit of creative outlet. So I think it's individual performances that have just kind of gone up a notch. And when I've, I've asked kind of players and, and, and the coach in press conferences as, as to why that's happened, um, it seems as though a lot of it has been attributed to uh, kind of physical training, basically. You know, Philippe Clement hadn't had a lot of time with this squad because he came in in, in a pit, you know, a very packed schedule in him. Um, at the start of January, but it seems as though having had a couple of works, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, flat out working with the side, he's been able to kind of put his prints on this side, and it's um, yeah, it's reaping rewards. And you know, it, even though it's a net negative, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to uh, get kicked out of, of the Europa League. You, you you want to go in all the way to the end, but um, not having that as a midweek distraction, kind of cutting time on the training field, as I think, also made a difference. And I think. At Saint Etienne over the weekend was was maybe the first time or, or one of the first times this season where I've seen them go away to an, you know a relegation struggling side that you know are going to sit deep um, and expected them to win, uh, which I think is a market turnaround from from how it's been all all season really. Yeah, Monaco now up to fourth on the back of that fabulous run. They're level on points, in fact, with Rennes who were in third, Marseille six points clear of them in second. Let's PSG. We can we can forget about them now with uh, thirteen points, the difference at the top with with four games to go. Nice, they're down in uh, in fifth on fifty seven points. Strasbourg just behind them. It's very very tight. We'll have more on the European race uh, just a little bit later. But Andy, I mean, did you see this coming from Monaco? Um, no, I didn't see it coming. I think, um, as you know, as Luke says, they were they, they were in a poor run of form. Obviously, you go back to kind of um, <clears throat> late February. You look at the start of Philippe Clement's, you know, time in charge. I think it was two wins in his first seven games. Very inconsistent, you know, not looking like a team who were going to be qualifying for the Champions League. And then they embark on this remarkable run. I think is is it seven wins in eight altogether? And you know, there's the defeat to Strasbourg, which came in mid-March, and then they've won six on the bounce since then. And before that, <clears throat> they won away in Marseille. I mean, I didn't see it coming, but they have the quality of player. There's no question of that. They have the quality of player to be, I think, in the top three, certainly the top four. That's where they should be finishing, um, at the very least, uh, pretty much every season. And I, and I think we should give a mention to Vanderson, the, the, the young Brazilian who came in in January. I think that Monaco... If you're being unkind about their recruitment approach in not just since Paul Mitchell came in as sporting director um, prior to the start of last season, I think it was, but 
in general, the last few years, they sometimes they've they've seemed to have a slight scattergun approach to signing players. But you know, the the arrival of Vanderson in in the January window has been a, a raging success already. I mean, brought in as a as a right back, um, fairly quickly moved forward to play in a role on the right wing. And if you look back, um. Over the last couple of weeks, he's contributed. You know, he's he scored goals, he set up goals. He is he he looks like an intelligent player, a hardworking player, full of energy, um, and he has been a great addition to that team. Um, and you know that maybe is just what they needed, so, uh, something fresh in January on the field as well as the new manager. Um, so that that's helped them, and you know I think now they have the momentum. And you would say the only thing I would say is that Marseille have that gap, but I think you know it's it's going to be fascinating between them and Rennes probably to decide who takes third place. That's how it's looking. Um, and at the moment, Monaco have the momentum, whereas Rennes have, although they won at the weekend, have have slipped up a couple of times in recent games, including against Monaco. So at the moment, it's looking pretty good. And I think one other thing I would say is that you know if Monaco are to finish third, um, you, you would fancy them, although they missed out this season in the same circumstances. But you'd always give them a good chance of making it through the qualifying rounds to the group stage, which might not be the case with one or two of the other teams around. They might find it a little bit trickier um, in the qualifying rounds when they come up against the opposition they might be likely to face. Um, so, you know, I think Monaco are, are looking very good and um, the turnaround has been has been quite remarkable. Yeah, Monaco racing up on the rails then, that 4-1 win, they're, they're sixth in a row. Ren just staying out in front. They had a big win at the weekend as well. Uh, a 5-0 home victory against uh, Breton neighbours Lorient. Martin Terrier on target again. What a season he's had. 21 goals. He's uh, sandwiched in between Kylian Mbappe and uh, Wissam Ben Yedder for, for those foodies out there. I'll just try and maintain that metaphor. Um, so Ren ahead on of, on goal difference and uh, Ren getting a, a win after, after losing a couple. So that was really big for them. Just looking at the run-ins, gentlemen. Uh, I would say that Ren certainly have got uh, more to worry about. They're at home to Saint-Étienne, away to Nantes, at home to Marseille, and away to Lille, which seems uh, particularly tricky. While uh, while Monaco have a much more uh, clement, no pun intended, run-in. <laughs> Angers at home, Lille away could be tricky, of course. Brest at home, and then Lens away. So uh, my money would be on Monaco. We'll have more of that a little bit later in the podcast, you're listening to Le Beaujeu. Um, my name is Ian Holyman. I'm joined by Luke Entwistle and Andy Scott on the official League Arm podcast in English. And if you are listening to us, you're not alone. Thanks for your praise. Alex Keith, Felix Roberts, James Radcliffe, Sean Williamson and Adrian Basford, as well as Cameron Milledge, who uh, tells us he was at that Leon marseille game where I think his quote was, Dimitri Payet got hit on the bounce with a bottle, which was an unfortunate incident, but uh, certainly one, as you say, Cameron, that you can tell the grandkids about. Really appreciate all your kind words. Please do pass on the pod to all your friends and uh, please give us a top quality rating on all the usual platforms. And if you want to, uh, give us some praise. Or Also, we're not, uh, we're not unopen, shall we say, to constructive criticism or just criticism downright. League One Podcast at gmail.com. Just one more feature game to go then, and it's one that you commentated, Andy, as Marseille just held on and uh, kept that six-point gap over the chasing pack in second place as they had a hard-fought 90 minutes at Reims. Bombardier pressing Gravillon. 
forcing him to give the ball away. And Rajkovic conceding the corner. Payet's delivery from the left. Headed away by Munetzi. Rongier returning it to Payet. Slipped into the path of Gerson. The step over, the shot from the Brazilian. He has got the goal. He did look the most likely to score it. And finally, Marseille in front here. An 11th away win of the season for Marseille. Jesson coming good seven minutes from time then. That was that was tough, Andy, wasn't it? Yeah, not, not a classic. Um, I think it's fair to say. But they got the job done with a, a late goal from Gerson, who, you know, after a very tricky start in uh, in French football, has actually turned out to be a pretty useful signing for them this season. Um, Jorge Sampaoli rotated his squad uh, with, obviously, the fact they played against Nantes in midweek. A uh, very difficult game at the Velodrome. They got a late winner in that one. And then he's got one eye on the Feyenoord Europa Conference League semi-final, the first leg to come in Rotterdam on Thursday. So he, he rotated his squad. He gave Steve Mondanda a start with, the thinking being that he's probably going to start the European game as he's tended to do recently. Um, but also, Payet started on the bench, uh, Gerson started on the bench, Chaleta Sar was on the bench at kickoff. So, a, a slightly different look to the Marseille team last night. Arkadiusz Milik got his first start since the international break at the end of March when he got injured playing for Poland. So, good to see him back, but he didn't make much of an impact on the game. Very little service for, for Milik, um, very few chances of note for Marseille in the game. And then they put, then they, they got the goal in the 83rd minute and, and held on. I mean, Rams are, are awkward, the definition of awkward opponents, really, aren't they? A team who don't score many goals, don't concede many goals. But a, a big win for Marseille. I think it's 10 wins in the last 11 games now between league and, and, and Europe. The one defeat coming, the narrow defeat against PSG last weekend. It's a great run of form at the right time. They might not always be especially convincing in terms of their performances, but they're on course to qualify automatically for the Champions League group stage next season, which is huge for them because financially they really need to be there and they need to know that they're going to be there, not finish in third place and, and have the, the doubts about coming through the qualifying rounds. And they're still on course for a European trophy. I think that tie against Feyenoord is going to be fantastic. Um, great atmosphere at De Kuyp in Rotterdam, great atmosphere at the Velodrome. Feyenoord having a good season. <clears throat> That's going to be a terrific tie. And, and, you know, it could be a historic season for Marseille if they can win a European trophy for just the second time. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, a, a big few days coming up for them. Just uh, one thing I would say about last night's game, actually, was that there was a, a, a great away support in, in Rance last night. There always is when Marseille play because not only is there the official away section, but there are always Marseille fans dotted around the ground because they've got such a big following in France. And, and, and it was quite nice to see that. Because obviously so often recently we've had away fans barred from games. I know it was the case for Lens fans at the Parc des Princes on Saturday. Uh, it's something that's happening too often. And I think it's probably worth actually making the point because uh, it's a political issue. But obviously we're waking up in France this morning with Emmanuel Macron having won the presidential election, having fended off the threat of the far right here, which is you know a very significant moment. And I just hope that the, 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 the president who has been in power for the last five years and that the authorities can maybe slightly take, take a slightly different approach towards dealing with football fans, because I suspect that um, you know a lot of these ultras and fan groups around the, around the country uh, will be you know possibly not very happy that the current president has been re-elected because they might not see eye to eye with a lot of the policies in terms of you know banning away fans from grounds. I just hope that there can be a rapprochement between the authorities and football supporters to make it easier 
to find a way for away fans to get to games <clears throat> because this is happening too often. And the atmosphere we saw in Rance last night is something that's been missing from so many big games in France this season. So I hope that a solution can be found there. Let's hope so, Andy. Definitely, definitely with you on that one. Um, Luke, Marseille now six points with clear with, what, four games to go? Are, are we looking at a return to the Champions League group stages next season for them? I mean, for me, one of my hot takes, you know, the, the hill I've been kind of dying on is, is that they won't make the Champions League. Um, and I, I need to, I don't know, uh, I'm, I've gone all the way now. I need to kind of uh, see it out, with, you know, and, and keep on saying that I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that they'll make it. Um, but, you know, at this point of the season, you've got points on the board. Uh, you know, Andy talks about the fact that they've kind of, won late in the last few games um, and if that's a, earlier in the season you, you kind of get a bit worried because you know you can only scrape those victories so often but if you're doing it towards the end of the season you know that that's just kind of good game management and experience isn't it coming through to, to get those points but I mean you're looking at the run-ins and, and Marseille this is pretty foul finishing uh, with, with Ren and Strasbourg um, and they've still got Leon to play as well and they've got two matches and you know um, against final and potentially final so that'd be that'd be after the season but you, you just kind of think that there is a potential for a slip up there you know if you lose one game um then you, you're starting to worry a little bit because you think that they could drop another one but this is also contingent upon Ren monaco winning everything between now and the end of the season and i think it's a tall order so i i think that i'm still going to say that i'm not 100 percent percent convinced that they'll be in the Champions League um, just because that's been my stance for the past few weeks uh, so uh, I'm going to s- stand by it even if um, I think that they're looking quite quite solid for it at this point. Yeah quite solid indeed six six points clear there Marseille in second as I mentioned Ren and Monaco in third separate and fourth separated by goal difference Nice who got a very very late Kefran, uh, Kefran Turam Winner at the weekend. They are in fifth, two points behind. Then Strasbourg, who were beaten by a Zeki Celik goal at Lille. They're in sixth and just losing a little bit of momentum. Then we're down to seventh with Lens on 54. Lyon on 52. Big 5-2 winners over Montpellier. And then Lille in ninth on 51. And Nantes in 10th on 50th. They're nine points off third. How, how far down are we going, gentlemen, in this European race? <laughs> I, I, would, um, <clears throat> I would probably say that Lyon are still in it. I think that Lille are probably, probably not going to make it. But um, I think that as far down as Lyon, so you've got effectively seven teams still competing for, for four places in, uh, in Europe behind, behind the champions. And, and um, for Lyon, it comes down to the, the, the Marseille game next weekend. I think if they can win that, they might give themselves a chance in the run-in. But um, probably the, the, the teams who are currently in second, third, fourth and fifth will be the ones who finish there. But, you know, I think the three immediately behind them still have a, a fighting chance. Luke? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I draw the line there as well. Um, I mean... It- the Lille of last season um, is, is you know completely unrecognisable, and, and they staged a little bit of a protest in the other weekend as well. Um, but yeah, the Lille of last season, I think I'd, I'd count in that race just in terms of points. But what I'm seeing from them isn't kind of indicative of a side that is going to be able to put together a run between now and the end of the season. I think in terms of Nantes, I think all of their fo- focus is, is rightly on on that Coupe de France final against Nice. So there's a distraction there for them. So yeah, I, I think Lyon are kind of at the bottom end of that. They've got work to do, but um, if Nice 
continue as they have been. Obviously, they got that win at the weekend, but it is a negative trend that that they're currently on. And uh, I think there's this potential for a strong Lyon finish the season and maybe nab in that fifth position. Yeah, I think I think Strasbourg losing a little bit of momentum, but I thought this was quite interesting. Lille, actually, we, we, we're kind of writing them off. They're eight points off third. That might be a little bit too much and there might be just too many teams between them in ninth currently. But they're away to Troyes, at home to Monaco, away to Nice, at home to Rennes. They've got it. I mean, they've got they've got a chance of certainly sneaking up into the top five, top four, maybe the top three is a, a little bit of a stretch. But I agree with you, Luke. They've not really been consistent. But it w- it wouldn't entirely surprise me that they have a strong finish to the season as well. Well, they've got the they've, yeah. Sorry, Andy, they've, they've, they've certainly got the. I mean, if they were to win those games, they would be taking points against against direct rivals, and in that sense, they would close the gap. Uh, I think it's what I, I know. We had um, we had an email. I'm sorry, I can't remember who it's from. Perhaps you'll be able to tell me. But asking about the the, um, the 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 situation with European qualification, it is worth making the point that although at the at the moment uh, we have the top two going straight into the Champions League group stage, third into the qualifying rounds of the Champions League, fourth into the Europa League, and fifth into the Europa Conference League. Um, Obviously, the other Europa League place goes to the winners of the Coupe de France. Now, Nice play Nantes in the final. There is a situation whereby Nice uh, could win the Coupe de France and finish fourth in the league. And if that were to happen, fifth place would go into the Europa League as well. And sixth would go into the Europa Conference League. So in that sense, um, there is maybe a bit more to play for in the fight for Europe than we're maybe giving it credit for. I mean, Nice could also finish in the top three um, and that would obviously mix things up as well. So, So... You know, you could quite easily have a situation where actually sixth is qualifying for Europe too. The the other thing which uh, I think was mentioned in 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 one of the emails we got was the prospect of Marseille obviously winning the Europa Conference League but qualifying for the Champions League. My understanding of that is that um, if you win the Europa Conference League, you 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 do win a place in next season's Europa League uh, group stage. But in the case of Marseille, I think we could say fairly confidently that they would be qualifying for at the very least the Europa League anyway via the league, in which case that would all be irrelevant. So um, I hope that clears things up to some extent. But I, I was looking at it for a little while last night, trying to get my head around it too. Yeah, that that, that email came in from uh, my friend Frenchy in, in Evra. Hello to you. And uh, Christaps Sveboulis has written in as well, says Marseille will get second. Monaco best equipped to take third. So that would certainly be good news for you, Luke, in, in one respect, and then you'd be still dying on that hill. Um, with Marseille actually finishing runners up to, to PSG I'll this season. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> an exciting four games left then. Still all to play for uh, from second on down. And uh, relegation-wise, Mets looking like they have uh, all but gone into, into Ligue 2. They're seven points off uh, Saint-Etienne, who are in 18th now in the playoff and uh, Bordeaux remarkable game for Bordeaux at the weekend I don't know if you saw any of this one gents but uh, they were 2-0 up in 2-0 up at Nantes inside 18 minutes then uh, they uh, they were pegged back then they were 3-2 up and then conceded uh, another uh, another three and Nantes running out 5-3 victors in that one Brest beating Mets to to all but condemn them to uh, to the drop Big one at Clermont as well. Clermont coming back from 2-0 down at home to Angers to get a 2-2 draw. On loan at Renman, Luca de Cunha 
with the equaliser eight minutes from time. So that leaves Claremont out of the bottom three, two points clear of Saint-Étienne. They're level on points with Troyes just ahead of them. Lorient in 15th on 34 and Angers on 35. I think the five-point gap to Reims in 13th and on 40 points means they're safe, but still uh, a thrilling and potentially nail-biting end to the season at the bottom of the table as well. Ian? Well, that's... Yes. Sorry, I was just I was just going to mention Bordeaux actually because uh, that game yesterday was incredible. I mean, as you say, they were they were two 0 up. It's the second time in five days that they've thrown away a two 0 lead because they were also two 0 up against Saint Etienne, that huge game at the bottom of the table in midweek, and they ended up drawing it two two. Um, yesterday they were two 0 up, and then as you say, they were three uh, two up. I think I'm right in saying, but not only that, when they were four three down in the 88th minute, they won a penalty. And Jimmy Briand's penalty was saved, so they could have been 4-4 and got themselves perhaps a very useful point and instead not went down the other end of the field and scored to make it 5-3. So four points away from even the relegation playoff place with uh, four games remaining and the number of goals they're conceding. Um, I think I, I looked at it before the weekend and I calculated, worked it out, that in the, since, since the year 2000, only one team had conceded more goals in a whole season than Bordeaux had conceded coming into this weekend. Now, they conceded five yesterday. I need to check this again, but I'm pretty sure that they have now already conceded more goals than any team has conceded in the last 40 years or so uh, in, in the top flight here in France. So the defence is, is an absolute catastrophe. And, you know, I think they are sliding towards the relegation trapdoor. Yeah, and just in, on, on, just on a, like a psychological level, I, I think the kind of defeat that that is as well, having been 2-0 up, I just think that kind of really knocks the wind out of you. Um, when you struggle in any way, I, I think, um, yeah, I think I'd bet on them to, to go down after that, I think. Yeah, Andy conceded 84 goals now, as you say, highest tally for a team in a single campaign in the last 40 years. It's the highest number of goals conceded after 34 games in a season in the top flight since the uh, Paris-based Red Star all the way back in 1965-66 when even I wasn't born. So a pretty disastrous season for Bordeaux and it promises to be not a particularly easy weekend for them next weekend as we look ahead and take a bon voyage into round 35. Yeah, so some big fixtures, gentlemen, in uh, round 35 of the Ligue 1 Uber each season. Where do you fancy going, Luke? Can't look beyond Marseille-Lyon, I think. Um, relatively local derby uh, will be a very hot atmosphere uh, down in Marseille. Yeah, I don't think you can really look beyond that. So much riding on it for Lyon season. Um, and you've got the kind of the local dynamics kind of uh, just adding a little bit more interest if, if it even needed it, which which it probably didn't. Uh, so yeah, that, that has to be my pick. Yeah, the Olympicos always have, always a very feisty event and generally a very entertaining one too. Andy, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll actually, uh, speaking earlier on about the, the Parc des Princes and the, the difficult atmosphere this season, I'll actually be there on Saturday when PSG play Lyon in the Women's Champions League semi-final and the atmosphere should be very different. So that should be fun. That rules me out of a game in Ligue 1 on Saturday, and Sunday obviously is May the 1st, so you know you don't work on May the 1st. So that leaves um, Friday night, Strasbourg against Paris Saint-Germain. I know PSG have wrapped up the title, but Strasbourg at home at the Stade de la Mino is always a great atmosphere. They've um, they've had good results against PSG at times since their return to the top flight. 
they need a result this weekend in the fight for European qualification. I think that could be a really terrific game. And um, so that, that's, that's where I fancy going. Strasbourg, Paris Saint-Germain on Friday. Yeah, just a couple of the highlight uh, fixtures on on Saturday. I'll be I'll be joining you actually at the Parc des Princes on Saturday, Andy, uh, for that uh, champ- women's Champions League semi final. But there's uh, some big games that have a, a big impact at both ends of the table. Rennes against Saint Etienne. That's on Saturday. Uh, Trois against Lille on Sunday. When uh, well, us football journalists will be working. Monaco against Angers and uh, Bordeaux at home to Nice, as well as the Olympico to wrap up match day 35 of this season. Well, that's all from us. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you to Luke. Thank you to Andy. But mostly thanks to you, our listeners. And uh, hopefully, for your sakes, Matt Spiro will be back next week. Until then, bye for now. Bye. Bayek's delivery again. Duzzi's header. And the finish at the near post from Lucas Baqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. A goal back. Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done it.